I'm not a mistake. It all makes sense. In a comic, you know how you can tell who the arch-villain's going to be? He's the exact opposite of the hero. And most times, they're friends like you and me. I should have known way back when. You know why, David? Because of the kids. Welcome everybody to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. We get together every month and talk about what movies you've seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. What separates us from the other 100,000 other movie-related shows is that we're high school friends and have been discussing movies for 15 years. We love talking film, and we'd be doing it even if no one was listening. So, uh, I'm Nick Moffat, and we've got a couple other guys here, three other guys here. we got Brandon Bulby. How's it going? Derek Deal. Hi. <laughs> and Sean Volby. That's me. So, um, real quick, I wanted to give everybody a general update. So, uh, we're finishing up season two of our show right now. This is our second full year of doing this podcast. And uh, we're going to make some changes going forward. So, our next episode will be our, you know, quote-unquote season finale episode, where we're going to go over our top ten movies of the year. That's the episode that we love doing the most, where we go around in a circle and we each start at our number 10 and work down to our number 1. So that still will be our next episode, our final episode of the year. After that episode, we're going to change the format of the show. We're no longer going to be doing strict reviews. We're not going to be doing the short reviews too much anymore. We're not going to be doing... um, We're not going to be doing the feature reviews as much. We're going to change it so that... Every month, we're going to get together and we're going to be discussing our favorite movie of that month. Basically, it's going to be a 12-month-long conversation about our favorite movies of the year. So instead of talking about movies that we didn't really care about too much, we're going to be talking about our absolute favorites. And we'll also be looking at the box office and looking at the popular movies and maybe talk about why those those uh, were so popular that month. But Really, it's going to be more focused on what our favorite and best movies of the year are in a 12-month-long format. So, um, that's kind of a big change going forward, but uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I hope you guys are excited about it. I'm really excited for the new format, because I'm really excited not to talk about movies I didn't like anymore, which was always a pain on our previous format. So, yeah, I'm excited for the year to come. Also, we're going to fill some of the like time that we're saving with other fun things, like you mentioned the box office, Nick. Also, hopefully, we'll have friends and guests call in with some good voicemail reviews of uh, movies they've seen and what they thought of it throughout the months. Maybe we could play some games or some competitions or something. Mm. I don't know. Just uh, I, I think that we're just trying to change things up a little bit and really really focus on what we liked and what we really want to recommend instead of, instead of doing uh, just straight reviews. So yeah, totally. And uh, I started a Twitter account. So, uh, you know, we'll be back onto the social medias. So uh, that'll be kind of fun. I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about looking, I'm pretty excited about the new year. So, uh, but like I say though, this is our final episode of, of this season. So, I mean, before our top 10 episode, which is actually our final episode of the season. But this episode's back to normal. So, we're going to go back into our best of the year update section, uh, talking about movies that, that we've already talked about, but maybe some people haven't already seen them. So, Brandon, uh, you want to get started on this section. So, yeah, one movie you already reviewed, Nick, and I believe you loved it, I just saw was The Other Side 
of the wind. Uh, this yes. movie, I <laughs> I saw with three other friends, and they all hated it. Mm. Um, this is Orson Welles' final film from the 70s before he died, and they just finally got the rights to f- finish editing it and distribute it. And I saw it in theaters instead of on Netflix because it's also distributed on Netflix. Anyways. I'm so jealous you got to see it in the theater, though. That's awesome. Yeah, was it ever even released here in Seattle in theaters? I don't think so. I don't think so. So they hated it, and I was kind of embarrassed walking out of the movie because I loved it so much. This movie is nearly nonsense all the way through, (laughs) and you're barely holding on with a thread of a storyline as you're piecing together who all these people are. But it is one of the most fast-paced, vibrant, wild films I've seen, and I like this will be definitely on my top 10. I'm really excited. Wow. A spoiler alert. Jeez. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. I won't, I'll cut that. No, don't cut it. It's funny. <laughs> but um, no, that's great. I'm glad you liked it so much. Uh, that movie is The Other Side of the Wind, and it's on Netflix right now. Me and Brandon both loved it. Sean, you had a, you had a best of the year update? Yeah. Um, I recently saw way overdue, about a, a full year overdue, is uh, Paddington 2. Um I, I completely missed the first Paddington. I only watched that recently as well. And uh, finally got around to watching the best reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes of 2018. It oh, has wow. over 200 reviews. I forget what the actual number at this point is, but it has over 200 critic reviews and it still has 100 percent wow um this movie is undislikable and i know there are some people who uh you know the the uh the user reviews aren't aren't also 100 percent. but i i'm sorry i don't believe you you say if uh, you say you didn't like the movie i don't believe you it's such a joyous occasion actually kelly described it as uh kind of almost a cross between Wes Anderson and oh no what what was the other one <laughs> oh shoot Orson oh, Welles no Steven Spielberg <laughs> Wes Anderson and oh my Stanley god Stanley Kubrick no is Kelly uh, there Robert Rodriguez oh I'll, I'll cut that Quentin part Quentin Tarantino <laughs> none of those um, guys no, it's it was like Los Angeles. Uh, Scorsese. <laughs> Toy Story. Um, we'll, just, we'll just cut that. Pixar. That out. Um, so Sean liked Paddington 2, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Paddington 2. Uh, it's an undislikable movie. Okay. I promise that if you see the movie, you will like it. And if you don't like it, then I don't believe you. So, so Sean, but, what happens if I see the movie and dislike it? Because I saw the I first told, one and didn't you, like I it. I don't believe so you. So nothing, you just won't, okay, so you just won't believe I just don't believe I'm just you. not going to see it. You know, I'm just not going to see it because I saw the first one and <laughs> I didn't your, like it. That's your outness. Yeah, I'm just not going <laughs> to see it. it. And like, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Uh, and then, we, you know, you can believe me or not believe me, but. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. So, so that's Paddington 2. So yeah, Paddington 2, uh, that's available pretty much everywhere. You can get the red box or download it or, yeah. So uh, I saw a few movies this month. Uh, I was really catching up on the uh, a lot of movies I missed from the theaters. I, I saw a bunch. 
Um, but I, I'll talk about just a few that I really, really liked. Um, the Old Man, The Gun was one that I absolutely loved. It was directed by David Lowry and starred Robert Redford. It was his final movie that he's ever going to be in. It was just so charming and simple and just wonderful. It was a bank robbery movie, but it was just about the slow, nice process of it and it just was about a guy who just loved robbing banks i don't know i talked about it more um i have a youtube show uh reviewing movies with baby lane so uh you can check it out on there but i just wanted to drop that movie again the old man the gun link in the show notes yeah that that movie is so charming and wonderful love it um i finally that was funny i was like i was like i swear we reviewed this on the last episode nick but no, it was your b- reviews with Baby Lane. Right, right. That's just my show where I just talk about movies with a baby. And if you don't care about the movie, you can still look at my cute baby. So, um, yeah, that's the old man, the gun. I got it from the Red Box. Um, I finally got around to seeing Won't You Be My Neighbor? The um, Mr. Rogers documentary, which was amazing. Um, you just keep hearing all this hype about this movie, how it just paints mr roberts roberts mr rogers like the saint that he is he's just one of the most wonderful people that's ever lived and the documentary really captures the spirit of like what he was trying to do it was really really nice um so sean wanted me to bring up first man um because sean it's one of sean's top movies of the year i assume (laughs) and uh I thought, I just gotta say, I thought half of it was brilliant. Like, the parts that were in the, I can't say shuttle, because it's not a shuttle. Sean, what do you call it? Um, it's it's uh, on the Apollo missions, or the Gemini missions. We, I mean, they were, they flew on several uh, spaceships. Okay, so it was like... A, spacecraft. So, spaceships. All the parts where they're flying, whether it be in airplanes or spaceships, are fantastic like they're so intense and gritty and like unforgiving and like scary you know really shows the perils of space travel like you know i don't even care i'm never never going to space like if it becomes like possible for you know humans to travel like you know i'll take a cruise instead you know just uh that space travel's not boring it's pretty intense but uh turns out the other half of first man where they're on earth is very boring and uh, i didn't like pretty much anything that happened between ryan gosling and his family and i thought it was just like super slow and yeah that they they couldn't figure out a way to tell the story of this quiet and stoic guy in a in an engaging or compelling way so I, i didn't i didn't like the other half of first man so i didn't even hate it i thought it was half it was amazing but um the final movie I wanted to bring up was Blind Spotting. This is a uh, indie movie that Brandon saw like over the summer. I had a bunch of friends up here see it over the summer, and I just missed it. And it was—it's about these two friends who grew up in Oakland, and um, Oakland's going through a lot of changes. It's being gentrified. A lot of hipsters are coming in, and um, this guy just got out of prison, and he's trying to stay. He's trying to—he's on probation. He's trying to, you know follow his probation rules and um he see and like you know i'm minor spoilers but it happens in the first like 10 minutes of the movie he like sees another black guy get shot on the streets and he kind of has to like live with that the whole movie and like amazingly this movie is so like 
like up tempo and really fun to watch except it has this kind of tension that rides over the whole thing where you're you're rooting for him to get through the day but you know he might not and uh that's what it feels like yeah i i also saw this movie recently and uh i very much loved it uh it was it's such a yeah it's it's there's so much personality in the movie and there's it's it's such a like it's just such a cool movie it almost felt like a musical did that did anyone else get that sense That's of the movie really interesting you would say that but there was only like that one musical bit like at the end though well right? there was the one at the the big one at the end but throughout the entire movie it was like so the main character was uh was struggling to kind of put words together and make these rhymes and i think at the very beginning of the movie he he started kind of just rhyming about things that he was seeing and touching. And, right, right. And then, like, as the movie kind of unfolded, he started more inner monologuing through this little um, kind of, I don't know, beat poetry almost. or Right. It was like hip-hop. Um, he was like rapping. Yeah, it was like hip-hop, but it, there wasn't any music or anything. There wasn't right. a, a beat or anything, but it was he was kind of just freestyling. Um, and it kind of, to me, it, it came across a little bit like musical, the way that he would talk or emote about what he was feeling was a uh, really fun way to, to kind of tell the story. I'm really glad you're saying all this, honestly, like the, you know, cause the ending actually has a lot of, uh, criticism, you know, I think you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people had problems with the ending, especially people I've talked to and, um, I, I like defending the ending because I think it came together and it was powerful and they needed to have something big like that happen at the ending. And what you're saying is a big defense of it, whether or not you're doing that or not. Like it, you're mm-hmm. basically saying it fits in with the style of the whole movie. Yeah, and I completely think it does. Maybe the people that didn't like it just weren't paying attention to that. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, I kind of see the ending as like slight fiction almost inside this musical head of his. Uh-huh. And I don't think it was actually happening. Oh, and yeah. Just like a normal musical. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, so we, that's kind of how I coped with the weirdness of it and learned to love it. We're, we're towing the line of spoilers here. So um, mm-hmm. let's move yeah. on to the next thing. Uh, but that movie's blind spotting. I really recommend this movie to people. I don't know about you, Sean, but like this is going to be up there for me. This was a, this was a really powerful movie. Yeah. So uh, I got that on the red box. Sean, where did you watch that movie? I, uh, I rented it from Netflix. Got the, got my Blu-ray in the mail. Wow, the Blu-ray of Blind Spotting coming in the mail. Yep. That's uh-huh. so cool. I didn't <laughs> so mean, too early two thousands. Yeah, I didn't mean to. That sounded sarcastic, and I, I legit, I really like it that you still get those in the mail. Like, cow does that too. It's pretty cool. I, I kind of want to, but I, yeah, you know, that's, that is an extra like ten bucks a month or something. I don't know. Okay, so the other big thing in terms of news that happened this month was that the Academy Award nominations came out. And that's always a big thing for film fans. You know, uh, the, the Academy Award nominations coming out, and then everyone gets to look at them and argue about them, and then say, nah, these are dumb, they don't mean anything. But really, every single year we talk about them, we watch them, they, they mean something. But, you know, uh, I, I personally love the nominations more than who wins or loses. I think 
just the gain the scope of what's nominated is in some ways more interesting than who actually politics their way into getting the trophy. But, you know, we all have our own like ups and downs with our feelings of the awards, I assume. But, um, yeah, we're, you know, I think it's worthwhile for us to have a little conversation about it. Um, first, I just want, I'm just curious, uh, where are you guys at? Like there were eight movies that are nominated for best picture. Uh, how many have you seen? Uh, I saw seven movies. Seven. The only one I didn't see was Bohemian Rhapsody. I've seen every film that's not a short film on the whole list. Oh, wow. Brandon. I didn't even go that far. Oh, jeez, Brandon. Oh, sorry. Never mind. There's a documentary that's unavailable right now. Oh. That that jihadist documentary, you can't get anywhere. Oh. You just mean, like, out of all the nominations across all the categories, you've seen every film? Yeah. Wow, I'm uh, I'm impressed and kind of speechless. Uh, I think that maybe we should just turn off this episode and and uh, <laughs> go watch every. No, movie. I, maybe we should just turn it off. Turn it maybe, into the Brandon cast. And maybe the three of us should just leave, and Brandon could just tell tell us about all the movies he's seen. <laughs> no, seriously, that's awesome. Uh, um, Derek, what about you? Let's see, out of Best Picture, I've seen one, two, three, four of them. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen six, six out of eight. So the only ones I haven't seen are Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book. So what were you happy to see? Like, what was uh, what were some awards where you were like, oh, those are some cool. I was happy to see those nominations. Sean, do you have any? Um, well, there's there's a few that weren't necessarily unexpected, but um, I was so glad when. You know, because uh, Olivia Coleman won for uh, the Golden Globes, and I assumed that she would also be nominated. But I'm just so happy she's getting um, the credit that she deserves for that movie. She was absolutely incredible, and um, I think it's—I uh, don't know—I know Brandon used to make fun of me for liking this show, um, but she was one of the uh, cast members of that Mitchell and Webb look. And she was oh. uh, one of my favorite side characters oh. in uh, Sir Digby Chicken Caesar. Um, <laughs> I've, ne- I've literally never heard of those things. Yeah, she's the she's got jibs, homeless lady in Sir Digby Chicken Caesar. No wow. one has any idea what I'm that's talking a big, about. That's a throwback. Okay, so, it's, a, um, it's a throwback, but it's a great sketch comedy show, and she was in it, and I've been a fan of her ever since that show, And I, but I never knew how good of an actress she was until this movie. So I'm really glad that she's getting it. I think that whole category, the lead actress category, is like pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Like All five of them, it's like... You know, I some people say Glenn Close will win because she's never won before and she's had such a long storied career. But you know, it's it's cool seeing all five of them in there. So, Derek, I know you weren't the biggest fan of these nominations. Uh, do you want to elaborate? Like, do you what what didn't you like about them? I don't know. It's kind of it's just a weird year. I feel like I'm just like not super excited about mostly in the best picture category. I'm just like not. There's nothing that I'm, like, super rooting for, I guess. It's, so it just feels kind of weird to me. I don't know. Like, uh, all, all of my top ten movies... None of my top ten movies are, like, anywhere near these lists, except for maybe, like, Spider-Man. But... <laughs> so it's just kind of a weird... Uh, it's just a weird year for me. I think Spider-Man might win. 
Yeah, it could. especially compared to last year, Derek, when like their nine best pictures they nominated were all just like super solid films that really deserve the recognition. It's not these, these ones are bad. It's just I mean, so there's weird. a few bad ones in here. For I mean, best picture, to Vice earlier, like none of us really liked Vice that much. Yeah, I'm curious, Derek. Are you excited about Black Panther, like being the first Marvel movie? Is that does that kind of excite you, or were I, I guess I don't remember exactly what you thought about Black Panther. Were you? I mean, it's cool that it got nominated. I don't think it should be in the best picture category, but yeah, it's kind of silly. Right. I'm glad but. you said that. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Dark Knight wasn't even nominated, or the myriad to me yeah, of was. better. Or wasn't it? Not for Best Picture, Sean. Oh. Or the myriad of other hmm. better Marvel, like superhero films that have been. I don't know though, guys. Me, like I don't think Black Panther is even well, in the top like, five. Like Nick so. said, I, I think that Black Panther had some. I think Black Panther got in there because it has some like it, like textual like in its movie has some undertones that elevated higher than some Marvel movies. Like it wasn't my favorite, but I could see like that. There are things in the movie that people could casually watch, like non-Marvel fans could watch and say, Oh, that has cultural impact and meaning other than like just being a silly comic book movie. I think that's why I, I mean, culturally, yeah, I completely agree. For sure. I mean, it's definitely one of, it's not necessarily my favorite Marvel movie, but it's, it's definitely like one of the best, like, for me, no question. It's like the uh, the upper tier Marvel movies. I, yeah, I guess just Ryan Coogler was was did such a good job with it on so many levels, and it. Um, I think it was yeah, just one of the best movies, and definitely the most best picture worthy Marvel movie that I've ever seen. Yeah, I guess it's just like in the context of other movies that aren't on this list, it just seems silly that it is on this list, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I do agree with that. Like, but there's other, but th- that's not even close to the worst for sure. nominee on on the list for me. Like, I, I didn't see Bohemian Rhapsody, but um, that one for me, I was just never. I guess I was never excited about. But Green Book and Vice seems very strange to me, especially since like Vice and Bohemian Rhapsody just never connected with. Uh, with with critics at all or or not much like you know they they both suffered critically yeah, yeah totally it, that's why i was surprised that they got nominated bohemian rhapsody made like almost 800 million dollars i think worldwide jeez there's there's a few other things you know lower down that i think are pretty special and unique surprises um one is for the best uh director category is Cold War, um, Powell Pawlowski, who also did this amazing film that won Best Foreign Film, Ida, that came out uh, 2013. Um, that's really unique to, I mean, everyone, Alfonso Cuaron is like, you know, Hollywood royalty, everyone knows his name, but to have another foreign film in the director category is really rare. And Cold War is that's nowhere really near cool. Best Picture either, so it's kind of, kind of interesting that that movie that didn't get in the best picture like didn't get in the top eight is like like it, it just kind of it put for me it puts an exclamation mark next to that movie of like there's yeah. something interesting about that movie it's an amazing film and the same goes with the cinematography category like this is unheard of three of the five best cinematography films are are foreign films and you would never see that before um, we have roma and then again cold war 
and another film I just saw last night, Never Look Away. And uh, so that's pretty rare. Yeah. Anyway, so those are our brief thoughts about the Academy Awards. I think we should move on to something else since we could just we could just pick apart this all day, like what we liked and what we didn't like. And I don't know. Uh, I think there's a lot to like and not like. Like, there's a lot of surprises, some snubs, some some of it's just boring. So, um, won't you be my neighbor? Yeah, won't you be my neighbor? Didn't get best documentary. Like, what is that? Jesus Christ! What is that? Yeah, RGB is there, and like. I'm so curious. Is there any chance that Spider-Man wins? Oh, I think it has a very good chance of winning. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The Ballad of Busted Scruggs got a bunch of love, which is interesting. So Um, weird. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of Netflix love actually, which could bode well for Roma. You know, I think that, I think that there isn't a clear favorite right now. I think that's another thing that I find interesting about this year is that, Though, like, I'm I, there's certainly ones that I'm rooting for, like the favorite Black Klansman, like you know, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I really have no idea what the favorite to win is, and uh, that that's kind of that's kind of cool. Um, I don't know if we're gonna do this or not, but we talked about maybe having a competition off screen. Like, it's a little early to actually like you know predict. When I say off screen, I mean off microphone. But like we talked about, maybe you know, putting our predictions together and having a little like competition, similar to some movie a wager, where you know whoever wins the most, whoever wins the most, everyone else needs to watch a movie of theirs. Yeah, when we come back in March episode, let's uh, let's announce that winner. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. I'm always looking for a chance to get you guys to watch uh, High and Low. Yeah. What? Yeah. And I've always been waiting to get you guys to watch Yoga Hoosers. <laughs> oh, my so. God. Why haven't I watched <laughs> Yoga Hoosers yet? <laughs> I've seen I've seen it, Nick. You, you Brandon saw before oh, everyone else. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Well. What's a Yoga Hoser? Um, <laughs> I can't believe you just brought up that movie. <laughs> okay. So, uh, the, the, the Academy Awards. Uh, let's move on to our next subject. Uh, we're going to do some of uh, short reviews. So um, to kick it off, uh, I wanted to bring up, uh, real quick, I wanted to bring up the movie The House That Jack Built. Um, it's the new Lars von Trier movie. And Lars von Trier is surrounded by controversy. And he's the kind of filmmaker. He's famous for making brutally horrifying, like hard-to-watch nihilistic movies that are very usually very violent or uh, uh, abusive towards women. And this movie has all of that. You know, it's uh, about this serial killer played by Matt Dillon who um, he kills women. That's what he does. And um, he – the movie is like split up between his – the different killings that he goes through. And um, – it's a pretty interesting movie. Like when, when it first got screened at cons, um, like a bunch of people walked out, but then when it was over, it got a standing ovation. Some people think it's brilliant. Other, other people think it's just self-indulgent crap. And, um, I don't know. Um, I think that, Mm -hmm. I think that either point is kind of fair, whether or not you kind of dig what he's doing. And, uh, um, I, I watched this movie, uh, I rented it from Amazon. Uh, there, there is an un, 
unrated cut that was only screened in the United States one day. And, uh, that was in December in theaters, but, uh, I don't think either of us saw, I don't think any of us saw that. And yeah, I'm so sad. Yeah. I'm just waiting for it to come out. And honestly, like it's, this movie's not on DVD or Blu-ray either. And so, okay, I'll just be straight. I, I really enjoyed this movie and I, my only problem is I watched it really late at night and I was really tired and, then like you know once you finish a rental it kind of goes away so i i only had that one chance to watch it and i would i i honestly would maybe buy this movie and watch it again if if it was out on d on blu-ray or dvd but i i don't know and especially extended yeah and i but i have no idea when like this movie the pace was really was really quick you know, it's an over two hours long but it, it moves and it it's really funny and it wasn't as violent as its reputation was. And, and it had a crazy ending, you know, it was, it was batshit crazy. So, um, I don't know. I, I bought into it. I really liked this movie. Um, Brandon, uh, what did you think? Yeah, I, I probably enjoyed this movie more than I loved it. Um, like you said, the pacing's really good. And honestly, the first two deaths out of the six segments, I was so, excited and on board for what he was putting together like those first two segments are like clever the way they like they work out for the main character they're like funny the theater was cracking up they're horrifying and disturbing at the same time and i feel like he didn't follow through with that quality or those themes or those emotions in his movie through the rest of the skits especially the i think it was the third one um in the shooting range was by far the weakest and like held on to none of those things he introduced in the first two. And then it meandered a little bit after that. But like, I think both, both reactions at cons are pretty valid. Like this movie's great and also not so great. But, um, for Lars von Trier, I think I came out of this, you know, liking it a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, even though he was killing women, which is, which is objectively upsetting, um, it wasn't as violent and it wasn't as much of a horror movie as I was expecting either. It wasn't as, it wasn't as traumatizing, I'll say, whereas some of his other films are certainly traumatizing. Did the end land for you? Uh, yeah, that, that's part of the thing is I want to rewatch it. Like the ending was just crazy. And I think I know what he was trying to do. Crazy. With it. <laughs> yeah, no, like crazy. And I, I, I'd like to rewatch it and kind of like get another take of it because I just, I kind of want to watch it with other people too. Like I watched it by myself, like at one o'clock in the morning, everyone else is asleep. You know, I kind of, I don't know. I just, I want to watch it and talk about it more, but I don't know. I don't know when it's coming out on Blu-ray, but anyway, that's the house that Jack built. So you can rent that on Vudu or Amazon if you can stomach it. Now we're going to go, Brandon, you've got like a, like a foreign film selection here. Um, you're going to talk about some of these foreign films that you've seen. Right. A lot of these are up for Oscars. Um, I we think just all of these about... that you put down here were uh, nominated for foreign film, right? Like, Yeah, except for Border, but we'll get to that. Um, so Cold War, like we just said, got nominated for director, cinematographer, best foreign film. Um, this movie got so much buzz in the later part of the year. And I went and saw it. And just like his movie before, Ada, this film is beautiful and amazing. And in a lot of ways, it tells an even more like interesting story. 
it's this love story between these two characters and the backdrop of uh, you know the cold war and trying to escape russia and it kind of takes place in between like western europe and eastern europe over a few decades between these two characters so it's a really interesting movie and um the music in it is like gorgeous uh they're musicians the characters and basically like every shot is just it is like a beautiful painting the aspect ratio is you know cropped in like four by three it's not uh it's not full widescreen and the whole movie is in black and white too and what they do with the visuals with that is really beautiful so i can't wait for you guys to see this movie i think if you sneak it in before your top 10 lists i think it's got potential for you guys so that's two uh black and white movies nominated for cinematography yeah that's interesting. There's yeah, there's uh, so many shots that are like passing through my head right now that I just like remember. They were so vivid and beautiful. Yeah, so that's Cold War. Yeah, I'm I've I've been wanting to see Cold War. Um, it's it's on my list. I just don't. Uh, it has I don't think it's come to Seattle yet. And you know, I yeah, can't. that's like the only other um, foreign film that's really on my radar right now. Yeah. Well, Sean, good news. Brandon has a couple more. I got more get oh, on good. your radar. So the next film I'm going to talk about is Capernaum. This is one of the hardest movies. This is the hardest movie to watch for me this year. Um, I'm going to read a little synopsis for this because I think it's almost comical how devastating this movie is. Um, it goes, a 12-year-old boy scrambling to survive on the streets of Beirut, sues his parents for having brought him into such an unjust world where being a refugee with no documents means that your rights can easily be denied. So the main character of this movie is a 12-year-old boy, and it's basically like just complete poverty and one child trying to survive for two and a half hours. You know, like, you know, kind of think like the beginning of Lion if you ever saw that film, except for there's yeah. no light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> throughout the entire uh, <laughs> the entirety of this movie. Uh, and it gosh. gets it gets brutal and twisted and fucked up and but the way the way the I believe this like woman had like twelve hours of footage of this boy, like I was reading on on Wikipedia of her going through and like shooting him. Um and they eventually can, you know, cut it down to a cohesive movie. But you really feel you're just like living in reality. They don't juice it up with drama. You're just like, you know, you're living in his situation. So if you if you're interested in that, uh, go see Capernaum. Oh, yeah, that sounds devastating. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, Brandon. Um, I'm not going to see that movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I still have. I still haven't forgiven you for your number one movie from last year. Loveless. Loveless. Yeah. Loveless right. was your number one movie from last year. And it was so bleak. Like it's different than nothing. Loveless. Cause, cause you almost feel like you're watching a documentary. And so it's like, you don't feel like you're being held hostage. Cause you're feeling like this is real. This is, this is real people. Like I need okay. to watch this because I'm learning and I'm, you know, gaining knowledge about this world and what can happen. Okay. In uh, okay. countries like this. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So the next movie is uh, actually a movie pass produced film called Border. I don't know why it came out months and months ago. I don't know why I was still in theaters in New York, but I'm so glad I saw it 
Um, I recommend not watching a trailer for this, not reading anything about it. This movie is so strange, and that's the best word for it. It is like scene to scene, and where this movie goes is unlike anything you've ever seen before. It's been years and years since I've seen it. Like this feels like a movie we would watch in high school and just like, you know, with Garrett and just totally like geek out about of where this movie like ends up at the end of the film. Um, hmm. I think you guys will love this movie and it is just twisted in a strange ride, but it's so well made that like I had my hand over my mouth and I was just like grinning from ear to ear at the twistedness that this movie goes to where did that movie uh, or where's that from um border is from i think sweden and it got nominated for best makeup shockingly like that's a really yeah. weird one-off category can you for say it. like is it comedy or drama no it's not or? a comedy it's a okay. uh, f- <laughs> sci-fi fantasy drama i don't know it's so weird okay yeah i mean just <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I just clicked it open on Letterbox. I won't, I won't read anything about it. But just You're like not the, supposed to the, the, the just the the top image looks like they're in. I don't know. She's looks like there's a prison guard or something. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, you sold me on this one. I'll add this one to my watch list. I'm adding it right now. Yeah, awesome. you sold sold me That's, on it. That one awesome. sounds pretty cool. More so than Copernicum. <laughs> all right, and the the last foreign film which has gotten all the rage this year is um, shoplifters and it deserves everything people have been saying about it. Um, Sean, you kind of like stole some of my words about Paddington too, but in the complete opposite of Capernaum, this is one of the best films of the year. And it is for the most part, so joyous in your experience with this family. And you, you, you live with this this cast of characters and them hanging out, enjoying each other's company, bonding, growing up together, and taking care of each other. And it's so refreshing to see like such a positive, I guess, a positive drama like this that is also so well crafted. Like filmmakers often tend to just go to super dark places in order to like give you quality filmmaking or to think that that's what can give like the most quality filmmaking. But this like kind of shows the exact opposite for most of this movie's runtime. And yeah. it, it just feels really special that way. I know you saw it too, Sean. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, I totally agree. It like for most of the movie, it's, there's just so much love and care, uh, caring within this family and um they're just you just get such a warm feeling spending time with them um it's uh yeah i don't i I don't really want to talk even say much about it because even like talking about the the basics of the family dynamic is almost a spoiler but um right yeah yeah i I guess i'll say that this this movie is um it's a movie that definitely would have been on my, uh, if you weren't doing this, um, foreign films thing, it would be on my best of year update. Um, it's a movie that for me, like it hit all the notes of not only was it an extremely satisfying movie to sit and watch, 
but also like after the movie was over i spent so much time going over it in my head and just like um just going over it emotionally and like what it meant and what all the different characters meant and how they kind of related to each other because I, I think there's a lot of depth um to that yeah it doesn't explain everything and even even when people are monologuing towards the climax it's still there's so many pieces to fit together and to think about later yeah. on and it's really good and to like have I, bounce <laughs> ideas back and forth yeah i actually late one night I think I went to bed late and I was just laying in bed and I was thinking about the movie and like I went off the deep end with this movie and I really want to talk to you about like this crazy theory I have about it. All right. Um, but yeah, I won't, I won't get into that here, but there's like, yeah, I, I thought about this movie a lot and it was just like, it was such a great like experience watching and like experience to think about it and like let it resonate within, within my brain afterwards so there's this specific shot where fireworks are going off um Mm -hmm. in the main city and they're kind of you know they're living in more of a shack on the outskirts and there's the shot above the like shack that they're in looking straight down you slowly see each character looking upwards at the sky through peering through the trees trying to see the light of the fireworks and they're like laughing and excited about it, even in the situation they're in. Mm-hmm. And that that scene just blew me away so much, and I think like encapsulates so much about what I love on this film. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Shoplifters. Those are yeah. Brandon's foreign films. I mean, honestly, the yeah, the, that that movie sounds great. I Shoplifters. Uh, it's in, it's still in theaters now. So I know yeah, it's playing, it's playing at uh, it's playing in Seattle, a couple places. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. You and Derek need a little field trip. Field trip. Yeah. Um, so the last thing uh, I want to talk about um, before we go to our feature reviews is that uh, I don't know if you guys know, but in 2018 there was a skateboarding trilogy that came out. I mean, unofficial skateboarding trilogy, but basically was like, there was three like pretty. I don't want to say big because a couple of them are pretty small, but there were three acclaimed skateboarding movies that came out. And um, me and Brandon both saw all of them. Um, I know we've talked about mid-90s in the past. Like the three of you guys uh, saw mid-90s and brought it up. Uh, Minding the Gap is the other one um, where it's it, that's a documentary. And then the, the last one is Skate Kitchen, which is almost like a quasi-documentary that takes place in New York City. Um, it's, it, that's when it was directed by the same lady who did, um, this documentary called the, the wolf pack, which takes place in New York city. Oh, I and didn't know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So she, that's cool. Yeah. So she did that documentary and then, um, she was kind of, she, she bumped into these girls on the subway that are in their in skate kitchen. And she thought they were so interesting that she wrote a script and, um, decided to make a movie, make a movie about them. So, um, I mean, I loved skate fit kitchen. I thought it had great skating and, um, really authentic vibes. And I, I just thought it'd be fun real quick to talk about, to, to do a rank off, you know? So, uh, you know, Brandon says his top three and I say, or not top three, there's only three, but Brandon orders his three and I order my three. Brandon, do you want to go first? Oh man. Okay. Are you not ready? No, I know, but I think we're going to be exact opposite. 
Um, Mid 90s, Minding the Gap, Skate Kitchen. Mid 90s, that number one, and then Minding the Gap, and then Skate Kitchen. Yeah, Minding the Gap, close second, though. It's just, it's hard to compare dramas to documentaries. But yeah, that would be my order. Yeah, my order would be Skate Kitchen number one, Minding the Gap at number two, and like clearly mid 90s and number three. Oh, obviously. Like, wow. I thought mid 90s wow. was definitely the weakest. Hands down. Well, I mean, I, I mean, they were pretty no close. Question. Honestly, like, I think I gave mid-90s like a three and a half, and then I gave the other two four. So it's not like we're like, yeah. it's not like we're splitting big hairs here, but... Um, One interesting thing you can take, like, from all three of these coming out this year is, like, perhaps we're finally getting, you know, 90s kids like us of age to where they can get funding to make feature films. And, you know, they're old enough to be able to put themselves into directing movies and you know here we are not directing movies but these guys were us in the 90s skating and being inspired by these stories and now making the movies the tony hawk generation yeah exactly they're coming of age Uh, yeah um we're finally seeing like 90 stories told with honesty of kids who actually lived through it yeah so moving on to the feature reviews Uh, The first movie we're going to talk about is If Beale Street Could Talk. It's the new film by Barry Jenkins. Um, Real quick, to do the plot summary, a woman in Harlem embraces her pregnancy while she and her family struggle to prove her fiancé innocent of a crime. So um, this movie, I think, was acclaimed. Uh, It was, I think a lot of people, a lot of critics really liked it, but it wasn't really nominated for too many Academy Awards. So there seems to be maybe a disconnect with audiences, but, um, Sean, uh, me and you saw this together. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on if Beale Street could talk? Yeah, it was, it's to me, it was just a beautiful movie, um, from beginning to end it. Um, and it's like at its core, it's about these two people's love for each other and how strong that love is. And, it's about how kind I think it's about how that love affects other people in their lives, both like their family and also kind of random people that they encounter uh, throughout their lives. Um, yeah, it's just like there's a lot of long takes, long shots of just close-ups of these two people's face looking into each other's eyes so lovingly that you just you just fall in love with these people and you fall in love with their love for each other. And it's just like, it's a, it's a slow movie and it, it lets you just experience the moment and, and experience the emotions of the moment. Um, it's pretty simple. I, I thought it was a fairly, yeah, it's a fairly simple movie. And, um, you know, I, I loved how it built, um, the plot slowly. The plot, in my opinion, plays out very differently than what usually happens in movies. You know, it's it's a very slow movie with um with a you know with a simple plot. You know, they're just they're just trying to prove his innocence when he's wrongly um arrested. And it's like they don't have much of a shot. Like there's there's a thread of chance of them proving him right. Uh, proving him innocent and uh they're just they're just trying they're just holding on to it and, and pursuing it but the movie isn't even really about that that's not even really the plot of the movie it's it's more about the deep love they have for each other 
Mm-hmm. I, I feel like you you mentioned that uh, they did a lot of long shots, those close ups of their faces. Like it wasn't just the two main characters. They they had the mom with close ups, and they had yeah, that's a, right. They did a lot of really intense close ups in this movie. And I thought that's where the the movie really shined was how powerful they just they just put you in their faces, and the acting was so strong, you you just felt it. So, um, Brandon, that being said, um, I know you didn't like it as much. Yeah, I had, I had a, some issues with this movie. Um, I did not like it as much as you guys did. And I'm, yeah, a lot of people loved it. And I came away a little bit down on it. I guess one of the major reasons for me was kind of the pivotal scene in the first third that happens in, um, in the apartment with both families um, and the big fight that ensues. I I kind of, once that scene hit and I couldn't get over the way it resonated with me, it kind of affected a lot else that happened in the movie. I guess to go into detail, that fight was like really, really unbelievable and unrealistic. And I could just feel the writer typing out all these like amazingly eloquent long slams of rants that he could have his characters like unnaturally spew out in moments of hatred at each other. And it went on and on and on. And I don't think it worked or at least for me, for me, it did not work. And I couldn't see these words coming out of anybody's mouth in these, this situation. And the anger that ensued between these two families was so strong. I mean, they were like beating each other. And so like after that scene ended, I was just like, what am I watching? Like this is no longer real in any way, shape or form. And it kind of spun out of control in my head from there. Hmm. Yeah. That's kind of strange to me. Cause I, I mean, I didn't pick up on that. I mean, it was, it was big acting, but to me, like, it was almost like a play, you know? It's like, that, the whole movie is kind of like a play, where it's uh, limited sets, just actors acting really powerfully. And, um, I mean, I, I I didn't feel that. I, I bought into it. I, I thought that scene was really great, actually. Yeah, I, I really liked it, too. I loved how it... Well, um, I can kind of see what you where you're coming from, Brandon. Um, it was a lot of really extreme stuff happening very quickly. But I, what I really liked about it was how it alluded to such a a deep history between these two families. Like, and I don't know their backstory. I I know that the two kids grew up together. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how they knew each other, or how the families knew each other, or or really any of that, but like um, watching that scene, it's just, you, you get this sense of such a deep history and so much complex emotions between the, the two families. And like even the two dads, how they're, um, they're kind of almost buddy, buddy over there in the corner while the, the moms and the sisters are just like hammering it out. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really respected how he was able to give that sense of a past without saying anything specific about it. Mm -hmm. That that was interesting. Yeah. I think that would probably be the only way that that could work is if you kind of created a, 
outside like piece of fiction to give them reasons to be treating each other like that and saying those words to each other in that moment. Um, and then the last thing, I guess, is kind of the flip side of what you guys have been ranting about. The the like long close-up shots, for me, didn't tell me enough in this slow-paced movie that these two characters were in love. And I wanted to see them doing things that people in love with each other do instead of just staring into each other's eyes for so many scenes. Like, I wanted to see them, like, laugh and talk and and enjoy each other's company and the reasons why they're so strong and compatible. Um, And I feel like the movie skipped over that and kind of just hoped that you believed they loved each other as opposed to, for me, actually getting me invested in why these characters were so good with each other. I guess um, what I will say about that is that I think... um, a lot of the times, people talk a lot about the like Romeo and Juliet, how they just don't believe that these two kids are that in love with each other. Right. But I think in yeah. movies like that, or, or not a movie, but like that, a play like that, um, as well as like a lot of musicals, what what they're trying to do is that even though you just have like maybe a three minute song about these two characters in love, or in Romeo and Juliet, you have these long like soliloquies. Like the the goal isn't to necessarily show them falling in love and to like to make you believe in the love their love through their experiences of it, but rather just like through the art of like in Romeo and Juliet, the art of the dialogue, the the soliloquies and the the beauty of the language, and then like in musicals, the beauty of the songs and the emotions that the that the song invokes. You are you're supposed to experience their love kind of viscerally, and yeah. I think in this, this movie, movie that's what he was. Cinematography that's what he was doing. Yeah, like these beautifully composed and and lit and beautiful shot. characters. Yeah, and beautiful characters. Faces. Yeah, just the, like the most beautiful faces. Like you're just supposed to, and it wasn't just those close-ups. That was that was certainly a big part of it. But like, you know them playing together in the tub and like you know there's a lot of just beautiful moments that the movie uh just through the beauty of the the um the artistic uh the the film as a medium um you are meant to viscerally experience their love yeah, for each that's other interesting. and like I can yeah. That's I can definitely that's what I like see about what you're talking about. So it's I mean it's it's kind of interesting. Like I mean I'm kind of with you, Sean. Like you know we saw it together. We had a nice talk about it afterward. But like you know it's 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 a beautiful movie. But you know I, I don't need to talk about it for an hour. You know um, yeah. It it didn't necessarily like for sure. And it like Barry Jenkins was the director. His last movie was Moonlight. That was his first movie he ever did. Was this as good as Moonlight? No. It wasn't anywhere. No. It wasn't anywhere near Moonlight. Um, I, I I can't help but like take a look at what happened two years ago. It's just kind of interesting because uh, the two biggest movies from two years ago it was you know uh, Moonlight um, and La La Land. So Damien Chazelle uh, directed La La Land, and um, both of those guys two years later, Barry Jenkins and Damien Chazelle, they put out their follow up mm. movie 
both of them were criti- critically acclaimed, but then didn't really catch catch on with the wider audiences. And neither of them got nominated for Best Picture, where a lot of people thought and hoped that they would get nominated for Best Picture. Um, yeah, I didn't just, notice that. That's interesting. Yeah, just it's just kind of interesting. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but um, yeah, neither neither First Man or um, Beale Street Could Talk really really picked up. I would say First Man is definitely his better film. I would say that's <laughs> for me that's his best film, but I would definitely say it was better than La La Land. Whereas uh, if Beale Street Could Talk probably doesn't live up to Moonlight. So okay, so that was if Beale Street Could Talk. We, uh, me and Sean really, really liked it. Uh, Brand thought it was just okay. So um, we're going to go on to our next review um, of Glass. So this review, we're going to have spoilers, but we're going to talk about it without spoilers first, and then we'll break into the spoilers. So um, this is the new film by M. Night Shyamalan. Um, I'm going to read the plot summary real quick. In a series of Escalating encounters, security guard David Dunn uses his supernatural abilities to track down Wendell Kevin Wendell Crumb, a disturbed man who has 24 personalities. Meanwhile, the shadowy presence of Elijah Price emerges as an orchestrator who holds secrets critical to, critical to both men. So, uh, wait, Derek, you still here? Yeah, I'm still here. How's it going, guys? So, uh, do you want to set the table for Glass? I feel like you're the biggest M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> fan out of all of us. Although, we, we, I think we all like M. Night. I, I think that you're probably the biggest. Uh, do you want to set the table? Uh, sure. I mean, my feelings, I think, are... Maybe, maybe it's the same with a lot of people, but my feelings about the movie are rather complicated, just because it is an M. Night movie. But in general, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was... Uh, unexpected and cool finale to his little comic trilogy that he created here and uh the railway line 177 trilogy (laughs) just say the unbreakable trilogy is easy let's back it up for a second so unbreakable came out in the year 2000 right and unbreakable was a uh it like tricked you it was kind of like the twist was that you weren't really watching a thriller that you would expect by the same guy who directed Six Sense. You were really watching a comic book origin story. Uh, years later in 20, what was that? 16, 2017, yeah, 2016, uh, uh, Split comes out, which had a, the big twist that not only is this like supernatural, but it's in the same universe as Unbreakable. So you didn't know again, which movie you were watching until it was yeah, over. That was like, again, you didn't realize you were watching a super villain origin story as opposed to the first. Right. Right. You know, and that it directly fit in with unbreakable. And so this movie is like the first one where it's out in the open that you're watching a comic book movie. You're watching glass, the, the final of the, the trilogy that M I had secretly put together. Yeah. So I mean, like, there's a lot of it's 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 a tough movie, I think, for everyone who's a fan of like Unbreakable and stuff because we're talking about like 18 years later, like you can see so many videos online of like like Pat Oswalt pitched his own like sequel years ago, and like like people have been thinking up of what this movie would look like for almost 20 years. So it's like whatever 
people have put into their heads i think it's just like it's it's tough to meet those standards you know and what m night was then and what he is now and what you know what his strengths are and stuff because i think a lot of people were expecting that we were going to get the big fight movie and the, the one thing i've always like thought of in my head is that like m night can't deliver that movie like there's no way he doesn't that's not what he does. He doesn't make... He tried twice, and there are his two worst movies. Right. Like, that's just not <laughs> what he does. He can't do it. And I think, personally, I think he knew that. And I feel like he played to his strengths in this movie a lot. But I think that was a big disappointment for a lot of people. And I think they advertised it like it was the big, like, Clash of the Titans, like, action movie. Like, if you watch the trailer, it's like 90% fighting. But right. uh, the movie's very different than that. And so, personally, though, I I kind of under I figured that would be the case. So it wasn't a it wasn't a shock when what happens in the movie unfolds. Uh, but overall, is the, the movie on its own? I think is actually I like it a lot. I think the critics and everyone were very very harsh on it. I think he he has some he does some really great stuff in the movie. I think. Um, I think it's full of the stuff that people don't like about M Night, but they're they're kind of things that I'm I'm enjoying about him nowadays. Um, I feel like he's kind of embraced his cheesiness and some of his heavy-handed dialogue, and it's kind of the, it's just like stuff that to me kind of comes with the territory at this point, and it's it doesn't really seem to have a overall negative effect on anything. It's just. It's just how he is, and it and I I tend to like that stuff, and I think this movie has a lot of that, and I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way as well. There's a there's a scene in particular that I want to bring up during spoilers that um is like it's like the most M Night <laughs> of that cheesy kind of stuff that you're talking about, right. but like. It's like, did you love it or did you hate it? And like, right. I could see people going either way. I'm sure we'll be split on on this. Right. I bring it up. I think a couple things that worked really well is, uh, I loved the opening to this movie. Like, I wasn't quite sure how he was gonna like work us into the story and bring back David Dunn and stuff like that. But the the opening scene specifically, I thought was just like the perfect way. It was like, okay, I'm so in. Like, think they like. That's exactly what I needed to just get me on board with wherever you're going with this. Um, and I really like the soundtrack a lot. It's got a really cool uh, score, especially in the opening. I really like the I really like the setup too. Yeah. I mean, I thought that's what you're talking about. I thought the setup of this movie was so clever. Yeah, and uh, I was so invested in uh, where the like the direction that the characters are in like you know I, I i you see bruce willis at the end of split but you don't know really where they're at where he's at or anything about him right and where they pick up with him i think it's just it's just at such an interesting place and it, it it made me invested right away for sure uh my my experience watching this movie was like i i was really excited especially i think i saw the first trailer um and i was it was so good and i was really excited and i was like is m night Shyamalan gonna do it is he gonna is he gonna pull this off uh and then like the reviews started coming in and i was just i was kind of like oh no oh please m night don't do your don't do your thing and i was really worried that like you know 
again, like what you say, he doesn't do big movies well. Like all of his good movies are very small, very quiet. Like even Split was just like one location or essentially mainly one location right. through the entire movie. And it's just very simple. It doesn't, it's not like a lot of complex plot plot lines or anything like that. Um, and I was just like, oh, I guess he just like he got too complicated and he just couldn't pull it off. Um, but then I, I so I went into the movie almost like expecting it to be kind of a mess, like plot wise and f- from the beginning. And I agree. Like he he played. I think he played to his strengths in this movie. Maybe he was completely aware uh, you know, it, maybe he's self-aware now and, and he just kind of knows that he can't pull off that big kind of movie. Um, and so he tried to keep this one small and contained uh, as well. But it just like I was right off the bat. I was like, oh, this is yeah, this is like this is like a good, well put together movie like this is working. Everything is working really well. And I even thought I, I thought it was working really well as like revisiting this character from 20 years ago. Like where they pick up where they pick up with him was really cool. And I even loved that they had his son back. I haven't seen him in anything since Unbreakable or that I'm aware of. And like I was like, oh yeah, that's him, and that's awesome. He's back, and he's like he's looking good, and like he's he's doing a good job like i was, somehow I was really the, happy to see him somehow the poor man's uh joel 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 what's his name from six Sense? joel osmond Haley joel osmond, Haley Haley joel joel osmond. osmond. yeah <laughs> somehow the the poor man's Haley joel osmond grew up better looking than Haley joel osmond <laughs> but yeah he was he was really good and he was yeah i, I liked all that um build up um i guess like be, without getting into spoilers i thought the end of the movie he did kind of start to get a little complicated and it plot wise fell apart a little bit for me and as a conclusion to the trilogy um was a little dissatisfying but um i would very much like to talk about it but one uh, one more thing i want to say is i really liked the action in this movie i thought it was really creative and all really oh, well done. Is there a gasp? Did Brandon not like the action? <laughs> that was the first thing I was going to say. It was the opposite. Was, oh, God. Oh, wow. Um, did Brandon, like, vomit? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was like, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought, you know, it wasn't like a what you expect from a superhero movie these days. It wasn't like super, really fast-paced, punch, punch, kick, and superpower, super, you know. It was just like, it was kind of slower, and uh, it, it gave you more of a sense of the, the real strength of these characters, and it, um, you know, visu- it, it was, yeah, it was all about visually representing how strong these characters were, and the the superpowers wasn't in how fast they were how it's about how much beating that they can take and how much muscle they have and so yeah i i like the action and brandon didn't like the action so yeah this i first off i enjoyed my time watching this movie i think this is a weird mixed bag for me of like really cringy m night Shyamalan plot points and scripting that he's so well known for 
but also like really great choices that he also made that I think really saved him um, through good chunks of this film. I think I'm more fascinated by the choices he made than overall I think that the movie is quality. So I'm like in a really weird spot with this movie. I think that's a like really, really that's a really good distinction because I think honestly, like I'm probably closer in the same boat. Like I, I like I, yeah, I'm, I'm more intrigued and excited by the decisions that he made and where he decided to take it as opposed to the actual quality of how those turned out and stuff. Yeah, and um, like I got a lot of nits to pick like in super detail throughout different scenes of this movie. But at the same time, I'm like also kind of proud of him for, you know, I was a huge signs was one of the movies that got me into movies along with the fellowship of the ring. I was obsessed with M night Shyamalan. So I'm also like really proud of him for making a lot of the smart choices he did at the same time. Yeah. Let's just go spoilers now. We can talk about some of these things in more in depth. So uh, spoilers at this point, it's an M night movie. You'll get spoiled. Stop listening. Stop listening if you don't want to be spoiled. Spoilers. 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 All right, guys. What's up? Brandon, what do you think of the scene where it's like the close-up shot of Elijah? And this is, this is like a perfect example of what I liked about the action in this movie. Elijah rolling away in that hallway while James McAvoy is out of focus in the background. Oh, yeah. That was great. Like just killing all those, that was great. all those and guards. It's like, and it's like down to earth punch, down to earth punch, regular man punch, and then right before it cuts, you get this giant slam, and then like yeah, CGI body flies up against the wall, but it, and yeah. then the, and then the shot like instantly cuts to a new scene. It was that was great. That was really well done. Yeah. Um, what struck me with the action was how how realistic. Um, all of it looked and like, you know, they eventually give it away that of why it looked that way. But like, all, I, I kept thinking these look like security camera, f- like <laughs> shots. Like this looks like, like this looks like brutally, like real him, like flipping over the car and then like just punching each other. I just kept being like, this just like, and him running ac- like when, uh, the beast like ran across the field on all fours. It was just like, wow, that just like looks crazy cool. And, um, I mean, it turns out that that was actually like, you know, in story, the security camera footage that we were watching. I thought that was really clever. And, you know, I think I think I think this goes back to what Derek was first alluding to in the beginning was how, you know, he played to his strengths by like they they set up it being like a movie where they'd be battling. It'd be a big action movie. And they have the big fight, but they have a big fight between Bruce Willis and James McAvoy very close to the beginning. And then the movie just like splits them apart and it's a talking movie. Like they get sent to the hospital and it's like, it's all psychology. It's all just like talking about what's going on. It's just like doctor meetings and stuff. It like totally (laughs) changes from that like comic book thing to a more like, like focused on character focused on insides, focused on what people are thinking and doing rather than the big action stuff, which I thought was clever and pretty awesome. Honestly, I was, uh, one thing that popped in my head is the, uh, security guards as far as the action goes or the SWAT team when they come out. Um, 
with their giant like shields. Uh, and they come up and try to split up the two people as they're fighting. And what M. Night Shyamalan has them do is is just like nothing. Like their plan is just to kind of like bump into them for a long time and do nothing yeah, I don't else. know what that was all about. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't I was, really I was like, understand. what are they doing? They're just like, have their shields and they're kind of just like nudging them for a bit. And then all of a sudden, like Bruce Willis just kind of like puts out his arms and corrals them for what's probably like 30 seconds in real time, slowly walking them backwards across the field and into a locker. And when none of them just like turned around and kind of like, you know, like moved out of the way for a second, like they're walking at a very slow pace. <laughs> you can back up and not get pushed into this bunk of this like locker. <laughs> yeah. And like, I was just looking at it visually. I was like, this, this is so weird. Like who's, who was responsible for staging this? I don't know what's happening. That's like an image that's embedded in my head of like bad M night Shyamalan filmmaking. I didn't even See, like, I mean, catch that M. at all. It's bad M night. But the, I mean, I know they weren't, it, it turned out that they weren't SWAT team people but that's not how you take down if you need to apprehend a a real person like there's a ton of way like that if you need to apprehend a person who will not be apprehended like use like uh sandbag uh bullets or whatever you call them or you use like pepper spray or you use like you know there's a ton of methods that the police have to apprehend people but like running in with a few shields and bumping into them is not one of them and i know that they weren't really swat team people they were a part of this organization i think i assumed all of them all of those swat people there were a part of this weird organization but i don't know if they were honestly no they definitely they definitely insinuate that they were they show at least two of them with the symbol on their wrist oh that's why there wasn't that many cops all right, it's just clicking. So those weren't real cops, and no. that's why there wasn't a sh- there. That's why there was only six of them because they didn't like call the cops for like tons of backup. Right, that was like a lot of people's problem. Is like, why didn't anyone just call the? Why didn't any of like the the kid or like the girl or the mom just like call the cops? Oh yeah, there's still the kid and the mom. Or why didn't the, the cops though? like come when all this crazy shit's going on? But. There, there was one small moment that I thought was amazing with M. Night Shyamalan's like maybe action or horror directing was the creepy security guard almost dropping the flashlight on Glass's knee. That was great. That little scene oh, was yeah. so terrifying. Um, and the way he edited it and shot it was really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so the things I think that worked really well for me is overall – um, I liked everywhere the movie was going. I liked all the ideas, not necessarily the execution of them, but it was just so refreshing to see this movie go in this completely different direction than every other superhero movie goes. And while it honestly wasn't like super satisfying while it was happening, afterwards looking back, like I just it just felt so refreshing for it to just do something completely different in a complete direction that we never would have expected it to go. You know, I'm talking about with pretty much all our heroes disappearing. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's just such a shocking 
and like I saw it with my mom, you know, and <laughs> she's like, she like tapping on my shoulder, like, are they, is that, did he just, is this really happening or is this actually happening right now? It's like, yeah, this right. is, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's what, that's where this movie's super going. weird scene, super weird scene, like our hero that we saw in a film like 20 years ago, die in a puddle, you know, like. Not yeah. not satisfying. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, but, definitely not conventional. But like, I don't think any of their deaths. I mean, the are puddle satisfied. was bad. They're all. It wasn't supposed to but be the, though. The gunshot was good, and the like, Mister Glass getting punched in the chest by, you know, uh, the other guy was. I thought was great. I thought they were. I don't all think it was supposed equal. to though. I thought, yeah, they were all supposed to be underwhelming and un- unsatisfying. Like, <laughs> I just thought he had strength. Who? Like, like he could have pushed himself out of the puddle with his hands, or like, f- like broken the guy's arm that was holding him down because that's his power. Well, the point strength. is, water was his yeah, weakness. Like, though. it's I understand. I liked that they all died. I was just wished that his death hadn't made sense for like his power couldn't have saved him. Well, his power doesn't. But water work, was his weakness. This whole thing. It's like water. I guess like yeah, that was the thing. Him. I don't. I guess I didn't he understand. Doesn't even have to drown in it. His. Oh. Really? I didn't understand his power then. Like, I thought he was just vulnerable to water, like it was his Achilles heel. It doesn't... I didn't realize that water actually takes his power well, what away. What I always assumed was... Well, <laughs> he obviously can't breathe underwater. It's just... there's Yeah. In any scenario, even if even if it doesn't hurt him, he still can't breathe underwater. So he still dies underwater. Yeah, that's true. So I assume that's not the thing that kills him, is not being able to breathe underwater. So I assume that water is like his kryptonite it literally cripples him to where he can't he can't like do it, anything it scares yeah, him like because yeah. of what happened when he was a kid maybe like i think that's part of what the movie kind of proposes is like how how much of this is in his head you know how much is like i don't well, think he, he doesn't answer true. any of that he it's all just questions you're supposed to have when it's over you know you're not supposed to know the answers to any of them but um yeah, when I was rewatching Break Unbreakable, I was like, "Mr. Glass, you got to calm down about this water thing. Like, everyone dies in water. Why? Like, he had like three monologues about water. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe that's why M Night was really honing like that in. Right, was because it's more than just he drowns in water. Right. I guess he. I think he doesn't. He say something along the lines of, "It's your kryptonite." Yeah, probably. Something really straightforward like that. I guess I just didn't understand the rules it, uh, until I was actually watching them in that puddle scene, and then like in the the crucial scene, I was starting to I was understanding the rules. Right. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think, I think he intentionally doesn't go too far into that stuff because, and this is something I think doesn't work quite as well, but I like the idea of it. I think he he thought he had written this well enough that we would buy into some of the stuff that the psychiatrist was pushing forward. And um, I think that was his intention was that we were supposed to at least start to question what we thought about these characters. Oh, I definitely was. I thought that was... Okay, I never I questioned that worked it. Out. Not once, but... <laughs> I mean... Just because we have so much proof already of their powers, so it's like... Were you telling me that what you showed us was incorrect already? Or 
Because I definitely saw him walk on, like, walls and ceilings and stuff. So I know he has powers. Totally. You know- totally. And, like, yeah. that's what I thought was good about it, though. It's like, that's why I thought the movie was good. Because, like, that's what they were trying to get the characters to do. And I was right there with the characters. I was like, I don't know. I saw them do some <laughs> fucking crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that James McAvoy was climbing on the wall. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that wasn't just, like... A fantasy, <laughs> right. but like, but even James McAvoy was like, I'm not even sure if that really happened. So I'm like, I don't know. Like, she's kind of convincing, right? Like, you know, um, yeah, I, mean, I was I, half convinced too. It was, it was kind of interesting. I didn't go full. Uh, yeah, on, I kind of was too. But I was like questioning if that was the twist, right? What did you guys think of the um, side character, like the, the? We already talked about the son a little bit, um, but what did you think of like? his role and uh anna taylor joy's role and then the mom's role i thought that was another really smart decision was having one character from each of the three main characters come back in to help it was like they each had their counterpart i thought that was the messiest part of the movie though too like i personally Mm. against what you guys said i hated the sun so much both the actor and like his role like i god it it was like the whole everything he did in the movie was cringy to me you didn't like how he got a little goofy and funny no i didn't make any it was so out of character to me i don't know like here that that even the first scene when he's working with his dad just felt so it felt weird to me like he's like making up weird names for the walks they go on and like no, I didn't know what the heck. What was he talking about? He like, it was just so weird. It just felt so forced and like unnatural. The things he was saying, the way he was acting, it was just it was the whole thing with the son was so strange oh. to me. And I mean, I I really liked him in the beginning. I don't know. I actually don't know what you're talking about. He's call, what does he call <laughs> yeah, their? Walks? I thought he did a he pretty good job. He, like he was, they were being like, silly with each other, and it was a little weird. But I bought it. Right, but. I guess the reason why I didn't buy it is because we have no history of them being silly together. So that's like a complete 180. Like I didn't buy why Anna Taylor-Joy all of a sudden was like this this character that could had some kind of power over the over James McAvoy and... Was that you not my in girlfriend? Split? Yeah, I felt like that was in Split. Yeah, it was. I skipped over Split. But, like, why Why was her touch able to bring Kevin back to the light? Like, I don't know. It was I'm just guessing, like, was there scenes in Split between her and Kevin specifically enjoying each well, other? Well, she's the first. She brings Kevin forward for the first time. She She had 30 seconds of screen time with Kevin. Kevin was only uh in the light for like 20 or 30 seconds so i have a quick a quick theory on this i think this is part where i I think the ideas and stuff are a lot better than the execution because it feels like they have great chemistry and it feels like there's a lot of story there they just don't show us any of it and i know and i said like his first cut of this movie was three and a half hours long so i bet that there was a lot of that in there and it all got cut, and yeah. this is what we're left with. It's just kind of this shell of a story, and we don't really quite understand what's going on there. Glass so. director's cut. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag it right now. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing, just closing this up, uh, I think the cool thing to come away from this is I, th- I think I like what M. Night 
is doing again. I've been a fan of his last three movies. I think it's cool that he's, you know, he's producing them himself. He's coming up with his own, he's uh, financing them himself. Hmm. And, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's clearly with this and split, like they're both very financially successful movies. And so it's just, it's really cool for him. And I like that he's doing stuff that he likes. And I like that he's doing stuff that I like. And so I'm really excited for, I'm all, I think I'm all in on him again. And I mean, he'll always have that, you know, notch in his armor. It'll always be a worry that someday he's going to break down and do some weird stuff again. But I, I really like where he's heading and I'm definitely excited for the next next movie he does yeah so i just i just looked it up the budget for this movie was only 20 million dollars uh so like to his credit like it looked really good for 20 million and then uh it's all it's so far made 165 million god so so So, uh real quick brandon wants to do a uh a ranking a power ranking of them um derek do you want to do yours first yeah it's been so i've I haven't even rewatched Split. I've only seen it in theaters, but um, it just from talking to you guys about Unbreakable and stuff, I think Split's going to be my number one, other than Unbreakable, other than Glass. Awesome! Wow, I had no idea. Okay, Brandon, um, I'm gonna have to go Unbreakable, Split, Glass. Sean, uh, I'm gonna agree with Derek. Uh, split, Unbreakable, Glass. Cool. Um, I think I might agree with Brandon, unbreakable split glass. But uh, part of me wanted to say glass first, just to just to throw the wrench in the works. <laughs> Overall, I think I think yeah. it sounds like all of us enjoyed the movie, right? And yeah, yeah, it's sure. a pretty it's a satisfying think, conclusion, I think, to the trilogy too. I honestly think I might like it more with a rewatch too. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I could see myself liking this more over time. I think it'll be an easy movie to go back to. Oh, for sure. Just just sit around and enjoy. That plays a big part in like how I rank, how I rate movies on Letterboxd too, is like going back to them. Cause I was right there with you guys putting it at three and a half, but I brought it back to four. Cause I was like, I'm going to watch this movie so many times. And there's a lot of movies that I give like four or five stars that I'm never going to watch again. But I think that that's to a lot of its credit is how fun it is. Like I'm definitely going to go back to it many times. So anyway, so yeah, that, um, that was glass. It's in theaters now. So, um, let's, let's wrap this show up. Um, do you guys want to, uh, plug, uh, anything online, Derek? Uh, just letterbox that chicken tech. Um, Brandon. A letterbox, Beb, B-E-B. And Sean? Uh, I'm on Letterbox, uh, Bulbinator. And uh, I'm Nick, and you can find me on Letterbox at Mothman. Also, uh, we have a Twitter account now for uh, our podcast, which um, it's – so I'm, I'm running the Twitter account, so it's at um, MMD underscore Nick. And uh, also, I'm doing movie reviews with my baby, so uh, Movies with Baby Lane. So um, check those out, and you can find those on YouTube. So um, anyway, if you're enjoying our show, subscribe, like us, comment. Um, Review us on iTunes. Yeah. So, um, you know, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.